Don't touch that phone. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Network, and there's no escape. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. The following presentation is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Do you dare to go down into the cellar? The Cellar, starring the Narada Radio Company and hosted by Cadavera Quivery. happy to see you again. Thank you for being brave enough to return to my beautiful cellar. Hmm. Oh, you see my other guests over in the corner? <laughs> yes, those are two actor friends of mine. They sold their souls for a career in the movies, but the check bounced. <laughs> now they're stuck down here until they can get a new deal. I've told them they'll never find an agent who isn't a vampire. <laughs> yes, they're quite old now, but you might remember them from their younger days when they starred together in several bloody movies. <laughs> well, you have arrived at the perfect time, because I was just about to open my big book of creepy tales and choose something deliciously detestable. <laughs> Tonight, we travel to old Mexico, around the time of La Revolución. Our setting is a tiny, poor village that is burdened by a tyrannical military officer. Our tale is told by a young man named Pablito, who has a very special reason to hate this officer. Let's meet him now. <laughs> days, the town lay halfway between the mountains and the jungle, a bastard claimed by neither parent. The only trail, in or out, cut over the highest peaks by a root, murderous in the dry season, and buried underneath mud or snow the rest of the year. 
Visitors were scarce. Fugitives, holy men, and prospectors who came in drunk on desire and who departed without their thirst being quenched. My father was the first to leave our town and crossed the mountains in more than a century. He ran off at the age of 18, a burning curiosity lighting his eyes, and returned ten years later. His eyes reduced to ash, hero of a revolution that had swept the country but left the town untouched. With him, he brought his wife, a pretty young girl from a seaside town who became like a sleepwalker at her first whiff of the steamy jungle air. A year later, I was inside my mother's belly, eager to be born. My father had already forgotten the revolution, as if he had never left town. But over the mountains, there were those who had reason to remember what my father had been and fear what he might become again. One day, the coffee pickers looked up to see a score of exhausted soldiers stumbling down the slopes. Dear God in heaven, please take a soul to your kingdom today. There is no time to pray, woman. Best to hide before they decide you're not a person anymore. It is always a good time to speak to God. I told her to hide. Senor Pablo! Come out! Come out now! Or I will kill another villager! Sargento! Si, teniente. Bring me the peasant boy we found walking on the road. Si, teniente. Please, don't hurt me anymore. Please. I beg of you. My mother will be worried if I am... Senor Pablo! I hope you're watching. Come here, boy. Let me hold you close to me. That's it. Senor Pablo, give yourself up. Spare this poor child. Do not make me kill another innocent. Senor Pablo, listen to me. I said I will come back today and kill as many of your villagers as I need to get you out of hiding. <laughs> ah, Senor Pablo. So wonderful to see you. I am here, Teniente Benitez. You are much younger than I expected. You are... Much more human than I expected. Turn the boy loose. Ah, yes. I did say I would not kill him. Stay where you are, Senor Pablo. Guards. Shot him for no reason. <laughs> I said I would not kill him, but I did not say I would not shoot him. <laughs> a doctor. You can grant me that even if it is my final wish. 
My son, please have mercy on my son. I see the whole family is here. Your wife is with child. Congratulations, Senor Pablo. I'll tell you what. You tell me where you're keeping your guns, and perhaps we will go easy on you. I... I know nothing of guns. You aren't training the village for an army then? No. I have left my revolution days behind. That's not what I hear. Lies. All lies. There are no lies. Only guilty and not guilty. After the arrest and execution of my father, my grandfather stopped eating. I was due any day now, and my mother did not need this extra burden. Javier. Javier. Do not do this to me. Please. Do not shut me out. I am just an old man. The world only needs young... <coughs> young men. A man who cannot avenge his son's death does not deserve to eat. You're speaking crazy again. You have been in this bed for months, Javier. You cannot give up on life. I do not deserve life! <laughs> So you have given up on your family? On Pablito? And me? My son... My son meant everything to me. And to me as well. But I have to go on for the sake of the unborn niño. My eyes... They fail me from time to time. I cannot be any good to you. Or Pablo's baby. Javier... Dr. Nunez has advised me to order a coffin. A... Uh, a coffin? Si. Dr. Nunez was our mayor and had received his medical training from antiquated textbooks. How good of a doctor he was remains a debate among the townspeople, even to this day. A coffin. For me. Padre Mendez will be by later to administer your last rites. No! I am not ready. Not ready to meet God in the rainy season. Tell him not to come. Keep him out of the, our house. He is an old crow in a crumpled black coat.
cassock. Keep him out, I say. Oh, Javier, Javier, oh, get Dr. Nunez. The baby is coming. With my birth, my grandfather's appetite for life returned. It was in these funereal circumstances that I was born. Dr. Nunez pronounced me healthy, and my mother rejoiced at my manhood, rousing herself just long enough to announce that God had taken pity on her trials by sending a son. She named me Pablo after my father. I have always been called Pablito, right down to this day. My grandfather believed that the duty of avenging my father's death had settled upon my shoulders like a great cape at my first cry. Even before I could speak, when words were strange and wonderful sounds innocent of meaning, grandfather was whispering the stern and implacable demands of revenge in my ear as bedtime stories. I was to be his eyes, and, when the time came, his hands. Many years had passed since my birth on the day Grandfather and I were in the marketplace, and the old man heard a voice he recognized. Soldiers are back, Santos? After these many years... See, si, Javier. They have been back from the jungle since last week. They have circled the town square, Grandfather. You wish to buy more plantains, Javier? See, si, Santos. I would like a few blood oranges as well. There are at least... Fifty soldiers, see, si, Pablito. I know that. I can hear their boots stomping on the pavement. I would like some corn, too, Santos. You men. Grandfather, you are gripping my hand. That, that voice. Too hard. Grandfather. Quiet, My boy. fellow soldiers, we are here again where we belong, protecting the town, the mountains, the jungle, and of course, the people we love most in Santos. our country. See, Javier? Who? Who is that man speaking in the street? Capitan. Capitan Benetez, Javier. Are you feeling well? Si. Si, Santos. After Capitan Jonan lost his life at the hands of the rebels two years ago, Benetez was promoted. It must be time, Grandfather. Time for... Hush, boy! <coughs> oh! Do not speak of it, Pablito. Not in public. Do you understand me? More and more often, impatient and frustrated, Grandfather would explode in rages as blind as he was. Red-faced and shaking, unable to speak a word, 
he would strike me with his open hand, as if I were somehow to blame. The thought that one of these fits might induce a fatal heart attack was enough to make me tremble helplessly. We left Santos urgently without taking our fruits and vegetables. There are two things keeping me alive, boy. You know one of them. And the other? Gypsies. How could I go before thanking them for saving my life? The gypsies were especially venerated in my family because Grandfather had been born the last day they visited our town. His had been a difficult birth. He was dying, dragging his mother into the grave with him. The local midwives could do nothing. Finally, an old gypsy, drawn by my great-grandmother's screams, had pulled Grandfather from the womb. The story goes that upon seeing he was blind, the gypsy blew sharply into each tiny ear, as if honing the acuity of his hearing to a point where it would surpass the vision of the most far-sighted. In fact, my grandfather still claims to have heard the fusillade that cut my father down all those years ago. Pablito! Pablito! Wake up, please! Abuelo, what is it? What's wrong? Oh, wrong? <laughs> These are tears of joy, grandson. My prayers have been answered at last. <laughs> Soon, your father will be able to rest in peace, his honor avenged, and we can hold our head up high again. How? When? <laughs> the gypsies. <laughs> they are crossing the mountains. I hear them singing as they come, singing songs my heart remembers. I strained my ears, only hearing jungle insects, but I never doubted my grandfather for an instant. They saved my life once, and they will help me again. Go to them tonight, Pablito. Keep your eyes and ears open. Take note of everything. No! Abuelo! You, you must come with me. <laughs> no, Pablito. It will be better if you come back and tell me what you've seen and heard. I'll know what's important. In a few hours, the whole town knew about the gypsies. The population doubled. Everyone turned out to watch the gypsy caravan parade, singing and dancing through the streets. People were shouting, laughing, music playing. Now men carried bottles of rum, their faces as splotchy and pale radiance of the full moon as the face of the moon itself.
Soon, I spotted the silver-haired gypsy, his crimson cape like a fiery tongue in the torchlight. He had ten knives in the air at once, scrambling with hands, knees, and feet to keep them aloft. Just then, with all ten knives hanging at the apex of their orbits, the gypsy suddenly lowered his arms and walked to the edge of the stage through a rain of steel, as unconcerned as a man caught in a cloudburst. Shouts rose on all sides, then a solemn hush followed by wild applause. More than one woman had fainted. I rushed to the front of the crowd. The silver-haired gypsy saw me stumble and reached down to steady me. I clasped his hand, and when he pulled away, a silver earring lay glittering in my palm. Without thinking, I quickly shut my fist and stuffed it into my pocket. Thank you, my friends. I am Cesar. I saw that he was wearing a silver earring like the one he had given me. I reached inside my pocket to touch it. I tried to catch his eye, but his gaze passed over everyone without distinction, never lingering. Friends, you have seen me juggle. How old am I? Sixty. Seventy-five, Grandpa! (laughs) (laughs) No, my friends. I am two hundred years old. Come on, Grandpa. That's impossible. Don't think we're easy march just because we live over the mountains. I agree it's impossible. But it is the very nature of miracles to be impossible, is it not? Friends, ladies and gentlemen, behind me, in this wagon, waits my granddaughter, Magenta, herself well over 100. No. Soon she will dance for you. But first, let me tell you of the miracle. Long ago, when Magenta was but a child, the Holy Virgin... Lamp Santa Madre de Dios appeared to her in a dream. In that dream, the holy visage beamed down on her beautifully from heaven and spoke in a voice soft as moonlight. (gasps) Magenta, she said, your purity of heart is so great that it gives you the power to purify others. But only in the moonlight will this power be made manifest. For virginity in women is the seal of God's favor. And the moon, my own loving and vigilant eye. Friends! That same night, The Holy Mother placed in my granddaughter's mind the steps to a holy dance. A dance to music our earthbound ears are incapable of hearing. The same music that pushes the planets through their orbits. The music of the angels. And simultaneously in my mind, the secret of alchemy was revealed. The sweat of a young virgin blessed by God and kissed by moonlight mixed with certain chemicals, properly sanctified, yields 
a formula that will cure any ailment, grant absolution for any sin, and force all devils from the body. Since that glorious day, no one in our family has aged so much as one minute. At that moment, he pulled out a vial from under his cape. Everyone gasped. A man in the front row backed away, stared at everyone else, and then ran away. Behold! These few drops are all that remain. So tonight, beneath a full moon, Magenta must dance again. But first... Goodbye, old age. Adios, arthritis. Thanks be to God. Gracias, Gracias. adios. Now, my friends, my granddaughter, my granddaughter would like to dance. He walked to each corner of the pavement and extinguished the torches. In the moonlight, the shards from the smashed vial glimmered like stars reflected in the depths of a well. Then Magenta stepped onto the stage. She was a tiny girl, her limbs like matchsticks, her long hair the color of coal with round hungry eyes as deep as the jungle, looking out of a face as pale and placid as stone. I felt as though her eyes would devour me if I stared too long, but I couldn't look away, curious to plumb their depths. She launched into her dance, moving slowly at first, then with greater speed and complexity, until it made me dizzy to watch. As she spun, all the light seemed to spiral inward to her eyes, kindling them with a flickering, ghostly fire, though her pale features remained expressionless as ever. People in the crowd began to hurl coins into the sombrero, but these were snatched by a sudden whirlwind and flung through the air in a crazy dance of their own, some even shooting back at us as if thrown by an invisible hand. In the confusion, as people yelled and ducked for cover, I saw Magenta tread upon the shards of glass from the vial Cesar had smashed. Though her feet were bare, they were not bloodied. It almost appeared that she was floating ever so slightly above the pavement, raised by the wind she had spun into being. <laughs> then, all at once, there came a blinding flash of light, accompanied by a sulfurous smell that made me cough and my eyes water. When my vision finally cleared, Magenta was gone. My friends, I must bid you farewell tonight. But, tomorrow... Magenta will be back. I am told you are the leader here. Uh, <coughs> uh, perhaps I am. <coughs> Why wasn't I informed of your arrival? It's your duty to register with me, my friend. <coughs> your papers? You do not look well, Capitan Benitez. It is nothing more than a summer cold. It looks more like malaria, Capitan. Whose signature is this? That is the signature of the Minister of In... 
Internal affairs. What do you take me for? The minister is Porfirio Velasquez, not this man. You're under arrest. Excuse me, Captain, but Porfirio Velasquez was assassinated three years ago. You're lying, Gypsy. I assure you I'm not. Uh, why don't you radio your superiors? Don't tell me who to radio. I'm going to close you down. Come on, Capitan. Forget about your uniform for once. Who cares about some damn signature? (laughs) (laughs) Men! 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 See, Capitan, disperse this crowd. Don't shoot us, Capitan. We'll go peacefully. Anyone resist? (coughs) Shoot them! I ran straight home. I found my grandfather sitting in a dark room. I told him about Cesar, how he had juggled knives as though they were lighter than air, and how in a fit of anger, Capitan Ramiro Benitez had shut the gypsies down. I was saving the best for last, but before I could mention Magenta's dance, Grandfather laughed and mussed my hair. Good job, Pablito. You are a good son. The excitement of seeing the gypsies had all but pushed the demands of vengeance from my mind. Only now did I remember why Grandfather had wanted me to keep my eyes open. Ashamed, I listened to him plot the murder of Capitan Ramiro Benitez. Over the next few weeks, Grandfather and I tracked Benitez's movements. His nights began in the arms of one or more of the local horse, but by two or three in the morning, he staggered off for his own bed, collapsing there until at least noon. Then came the night when he whispered harshly in my ear, In an hour or two, when everyone is asleep, I want you to take a knife from the kitchen, a long, sharp knife, and sneak into the Capitan's house. When he comes back and passes out, cut his throat just like a pig's. Then, clean the knife on the sheets and bring it back here. Don't let anyone see you. Understand? No. No. No, Grandfather! Part of me was still thinking like a child, and murder was Min's business. Don't worry, you'll be safe. Everyone will assume the gypsy did it. They all saw his skill with the knives, his argument with the captain. Please, Grandfather, there has to be another way. I'll kill the captain. Just just leave Cesar alone. Coward! Is this how you honor your father by throwing your own life away? (laughs) The life of one gypsy is a small price to pay for vengeance. But the gypsy saved your life. (laughs) That was long ago, Pablito. The debt I owe my son cancels all others. 
just like the debt you owe your father. No one said it was easy being a man, my grandson. We do what we must, not what we want. I took the knife from the kitchen and hung it beneath my shirt on a string. Now that the moment I'd spent my whole life preparing for had arrived, things didn't seem so simple anymore. In my mind, I asked Cesar to forgive me, but as I lay in bed, waiting for time to pass, I realized that I couldn't let Cesar take the blame for my actions no matter what Grandfather said. If I warned him of what I was going to do, he would be able to get away in time. Maybe that would make things more dangerous for me. But I didn't care. Capitan Ramiro Benitez deserved to die. Grandfather was right about that. I knew. I slipped out my window and made my way to the plaza, sticking to the shadows. The streets were empty, the gypsies' wagons shut up tight. The only sound was the whickering of the horses in the corral. It was hard to believe that just hours ago, the whole town had been hopping. That was another strike against the Capitan. What? What do we have here, I wonder? <laughs> a thief or a spy? His fist engulfed my own, squeezing with a pressure that forced me to my knees. I shook my head no, unable to find my voice. You'd better state your business fast, boy. I... I... Oh, I, I came here to... God in heaven, I... I... You've come to steal from me, eh? Oh... That's it, eh? <laughs> Don't you think you're a little young for my granddaughter, son? Let the boy go, Cesar. Her voice seemed only inches from my ear. I jumped at the impossible nearness of it. It was a beautiful voice, yet there was no warmth in it. Her tone was smooth and cold as ice, delicately sculptured but strong as steel. Cesar released me at once, as if accustomed to obeying that voice without a thought. I got to my feet, flexing my sore hand. Cesar's red eyes were on me, glittering with a malice that chilled my heart. Then I remembered the silver earring he had given me. I pulled it out of my pocket and held it up where he could see it. Look, remember? You, you can trust me. And then I told him everything holding nothing back, not even Grandfather's plan to frame him for the murder of Capitan Benitez. But when I had finished, he seemed unmoved. I wondered if he had heard a single word. I know who you are and why you've come. <laughs> you've come to take my place, to take care of her. Cesar, stop this. Again, Magenta's voice rang out. Cesar froze, trembling. I looked past him. Magenta was half out of the shadows, gazing at me with eyes that still retained the glimmer of the moonlight they had swallowed in the dance. 
I gave a strangled cry and backed away. She was not a young girl. She was an ancient, withered girl, her youth mummified and shrunken, the skin of her face so pale and shining in the soft glow of her eyes that her features seemed carved from polished bone. The face we had seen on stage must have been a mask, heavily made up. to run all the way home, dive into bed, and huddle under the covers. Instead, I forced myself to go the other way. I waited to catch my breath, then made my way to the house of Capitan Ramiro Benitez. If Cesar was arrested for my crime now, I told myself, so much the better. I tried to forget what I had seen and heard, concentrating on the job ahead. Capitan Ramiro Benitez lay on his back on the bed, still wearing his uniform. It was filthy now, stained and missing some buttons. The room reeked of rum. His scrawny neck was a sickly yellow color, stretched across the pillow like a chicken's on the block. There was no anger in me, no thirst for retribution, just the blunt prodding of what had to be done. I drew the knife from beneath my shirt, and laid its edge against the Capitan's throat. He snored on, unaware of how impatiently death crouched above him. How beautifully it shone in the moonlight where I grasped it in my hand. I looked at him the skin of his face pinched by the malaria into that of a man three times his age, a living corpse, and suddenly knew that for all my hate, I couldn't kill him. Not even if I had been as blind as grandfather. It's always hard. The first time. Where are you? I... I can't see you. Shh. We don't want to wait, the Capitan. Your thoughts are loud enough to hear. What do you want? How are we doing this? Madre de Dios. <laughs> My secrets come from across the ocean, across the centuries. All that talk about the sainted virgin, the moonlight and sweat. It's just to fool people. Then what are you? You hate that man with all your heart, yet you spare his life. What will your grandfather say? I'll tell you, Pablito. He will call you a coward. His proud heart will not be able to bear the shame. By letting this worthless man live, you will be killing your grandfather. Can you condemn him through inaction? I had never considered that. She was right. And yet I couldn't kill the Capitan as he lay there in his drunken stupor, defenseless, already more dead than alive, not even if it meant grandfather's death. I guess that made me a coward. Revulsion and shame crawled through me as if called forth by Magenta's voice. I wanted to stab myself with the knife, but I was too much of a coward even for that. 
Let me kill him then. Why should you help me? Maybe because I met your father years ago, over the mountains, and believe in what he died for. Or, maybe because I can't keep Sessat alive much longer to watch over me while I sleep. And I need someone to take his place. You knew my father? Oh, what was he like? Shh. He was a brave man who murdered something precious in himself with each man he killed. Even the ones that deserved to die. He was dead inside long before they killed him. But they killed him anyway. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciated the joke. I don't understand. You're too young, Pablito. That's what Abuelo always says. I helped your grandfather 95 years ago. Your father a few years after that. And now, I'm offering you my help. Will you come away with me tonight if I kill this man? Will you take Cesar's place? Wear the silver earring I made him give you? We'll go into the jungle, find the Gideon. And when we come out again, in five years, or 500, we'll be leading an army. Yes. Yes. And there she was suddenly, stepping out of the moonlight as if she'd been hiding there all along, transparent as glass. Her appearance no longer terrified me. Instead, I felt almost transfixed by her strange beauty, the face and body of a child, aged beyond the grasp of time into something pure and eternal. I offered her the knife. No. She shook her head with a smile as she stood on tiptoe and bent over the sleeping form of Capitan Ramiro Benitez like a little girl kissing her father goodnight. Magenta! My, my, my! <laughs> 
Wasn't that quite a surprise twist at the end? <laughs> it reminds me of the time a gravedigger friend of mine refused to bury a man with both of his ex-wives. He said, Tomb's company, but three's a crowd. <laughs> that was Moonlight Becomes Magenta, our second episode of The Cellar. And I, of course, am your hostly ghost. Um, your ghostly host, Cadaver Quivery. <laughs> Moonlight Becomes Magenta was adapted by Mark Slade from the short story by Paul Whitcover. The makers of this episode expressed their thanks to Mr. Whitcover for the use of his story. Of course, it goes without saying that without his brilliant story, this audio play would never have come into existence. So, until next time, fiends, this is Cadavra saying, remember, don't take candy from stranglers. <laughs> The Cellar is produced and directed by Pete Lutz. The theme was composed and performed by Tom Rory Parsons. Our cast consisted of the following players. Nick Womack as the adult Pablito. Juan Perez as Benitez. Orlando Seguera as Pablo. Mika Blaine as Javier. Debbie Leal Ramirez as young Pablito. Joe Martinez as Cesar. And Kristen Espinosa as Magenta. With additional voices by Mark Bruzy, Jonathan Montgomery, Derek Rhine, Marilee Robinson, Pete Lutz, Lisa Michaud, and Deanna Garza. Cadaver Quivery is played by Angela Young. This is Graham Rowan speaking. The Cellar is a 63 audio production mixed and mastered in Corpus Christi, Texas. Join us next time when Cadavera tells a vampire tale of Texas and how an unsuspecting cowboy unleashes the power and fury of an ancient Spanish bloodsucker. Here's a scene from that episode. Steve, what do you remember about the other night? The other night? What's that supposed to mean, Tim? My deputy brought you here Tuesday night. This here's Friday morning. What? How did he even know to come out? Well, even though your cabin's ten miles out of town, pretty near everybody in town could see the flames when it caught fire. When Kerry got there, he found you face down in the dirt, about twenty paces from the cabin. There weren't anything he could do, so he just let it burn itself out. Todd Nation. Now, <clears throat> now, Steve, you know how you got here, and you need to tell me what happened out there. You ain't gonna believe it, Tim. Try me. It's called The Horror from the Mound by Robert E. Howard. Next time on The Cellar. Additional additional voices by Eileen Corpus and Jessica Matthews. Sixty-three audio. My name is Zhang Ping An, and the Empire must die. Look, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you everything is going to be fine, because it's not. The Empire stopped working a long time ago, and we all know it. So let's just move on and get ready for what's coming. It made sense once. People got out into the stars and they got scared. Really scared. <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? 
They were out here alone in the dark, all alone with nobody to protect them from creatures of their own imaginations. Who wouldn't be scared? So they ran home and asked for protection from the mother planet, and they got it. That's what the Empire was born from, fear. People wanted to know that there was someone there when they called for help in the night, that someone out there would show up and answer the call. That was great, but the problem with power is it creeps. It creeps from those without power to those with power, and the powerful become even more powerful. Soon we had rules, then a navy to enforce those rules, and then taxes to pay for that navy, and a civil service to oversee those taxes, and a ruling order to oversee the bureaucracy. See how it happened? One piece at a time. That's how freedom goes. It's a good thing nothing lasts forever, though. Not even the nobility. Eventually, everyone gets weak and stupid. And when they do, someone younger and stronger comes along to take their place. That's where the pirate clans come in. The clans outnumber the Empire ten to one. The only thing that keeps them from taking over is that the Empire has an organizational and technological advantage. At least, it did, until I came along. Want a piece of the action? Come listen each month to Twin Stars from Kung Fu Action Theater Productions. The Mutual Audio Network, listening and imagining together.